Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Stone Ape Reports, where I have conversations with those who have changed their lives, or maybe others, with the power of psychedelics. Please note, if you're considering working with psychedelics, please stay legal and stay safe. Do your research, understand the contraindications, test all your substances. Psychedelics are not for everybody. You can check out my book, The Grief Trip, How I Learned to Heal with Grief and Psychedelics. You can find it at thegrieftrip.com. 100% of proceeds go to the Ian Preston Memorial Fund to help support mental health and suicide prevention. Okay, in this episode, I had the honor of speaking with CJ Spotswood, also known as the Entheo Nurse. CJ is a board-certified psychiatric mental health registered nurse. He has worked in the medical field for nearly 20 years and practices a holistic approach in his nursing, having graduated from one of the 14 recognized holistic nursing schools in the country. CJ was one of the original guests here on the Stone Day Report, and I'm excited to have him back. He's here to discuss his new book, The Microdosing Guidebook, available now pretty much everywhere. He shares his insights into microdosing and much more. So please enjoy this conversation with CJ Spotswood. All right. Well, CJ, thanks for coming back. Welcome back to the Stone Dave Reports. I'm, I'm very excited because uh, you've got your book that launched on Bicycle Day of all days. It's the microdosing guidebook. And microdosing right now is such a, a big thing. And it's awesome to have somebody like you out there giving people guidance and whatnot out there. So first of all, uh, thanks for doing this and welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. And uh, thanks for having me back. It's very exciting now that I actually have something to really uh, talk about more than just my experience. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. And I know when we talked about your experience and there, you know, you, the idea for this book has been around in your mind for a long time. And you told me, you said, Hey, when I get this book done, you know, we want to do this again. So before we get you know, jump straight into the book. Why don't you give us a little bit for those people who don't know you? Because it's funny, I talk to other people in the community and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, CJ Spotswood, you know, and most do, but some people are like, oh, I'm yep. not really sure. I'm like, you know, the Entheon yeah. nurse, like, oh yeah, that guy. So why don't you just give us a little bit of background on on who you are and why why psychedelics? Well, I'm CJ Spotswood. I'm the, going by the Entheon nurse. Uh, I've been a psychiatric nurse for over 20 years and more recently I just graduated and I have a practice here in Maine. I uh, am working in an integrative behavioral health where I'm working as a psych- uh, psychiatric nurse practitioner. I've got uh, a couple of hundred patients probably now in my care in practice uh, for the last year. But uh, prior to, to starting all of that, I've started working in the psychedelic space. I had an experience with a patient a couple of years ago who had a first time psychotic break in their mid fifties, did not um, fit the mold, didn't know what we were doing, like what exactly was going on, did a full workup. And as we started medications in the emergency department and working with him, he had disclosed that he was trying to self-medicate with uh, penis envy mushrooms, which are a very potent strain of psychedelic uh, mushrooms that he had, uh, he had gotten a hold of, which then ad- led me to wanting to learn more. I'd known that there was a, some research out there from back in the 50s and 60s looking at psychedelics for medicine, but I didn't know the, quite the extent. And at the time, it was a couple of months before Michael Poland's book, How to Change Your Mind, even came out. So mm-hmm. I uh, started doing my own research and looking into it and found some research uh, and some papers by uh, um, 
Hamilton Morris, because he started looking into more of the penis envy at the time. And I just was blown away by it. But so as I started doing some of the research on it, I decided to throw in a abstract to a national conference for the American Psychiatric Nurses Association. And they picked me to go and talk about psychedelics. Uh, I didn't know what to get. I was getting myself into, and I didn't know what the crowd was going to be like, considering here I'm talking in front of uh, psychiatric nurses who most of the time are working with patients who have had substance use issues or negative outcomes from their um, psychedelic use or past drug use. And when I went up there and talked, I, I, I met, uh, I spoke in front of like 500 people. It was standing room only. Hmm. And it was well received and everyone was asking questions. And the rest of the time I was there for the conference, people kept coming up to me going, oh my God, that was so interesting. I want to know more. I want to learn more. And I was like, there's something to this. And I started doing some more research. I ended up talking about it at school. My professors uh, in grad school were very open to it and were very um, appreciative of it and really encouraged me. And I knew I was kind of onto something and, here I am now about five years later, still doing it. And I just started uh, school I'm at the California Institute of Integral Sciences. I'm going to do a post-grad program uh, in the Boston cohort for this year, where I'm going to be working with a lot of the psychedelic therapists who are already in the field and learning more from them uh, and be able to graduate in a year to be able to be a, the, the hope is when and if psychedelics are, uh, approved by the FDA, I'll be able to be working with them legally. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. You, you've made a, a quite an impression out there. And I know a lot of people are following you and listening to what you have to say. Um, so tell me about how did you get into, into microdosing? What, what's your background in microdosing and what kind of inspired you to, to write this book? And also just, you know, kind of give us an overview of what the, what the book is all about. Well, it was, it was kind of a, it was, you know, an interesting journey of how I got here, just like with the psychedelics specifically. I uh, was working, I'd done a couple of presentations, a couple of projects, and I had um, someone reached out to me who wanted to kind of know if I'd be willing to work with someone who is a microdosing coach. Um, hmm. I said, yeah, I'd be interested. I'd kind of, you know, and at this time I was, I, you know, I was skeptical at best. Uh, you know, because everything I'd read and everything I'd heard about, you know, superficially was microdosing is all a placebo effect um, and really was like, I don't know, but OK, it's obviously it's catching on. People are doing it. And so I end up uh, meeting with um, Tara Lee Weathers when I met with her. Uh, she is a uh, microdosing coach, like I said, uh, self-help coach. And. She was at, She wanted to know if I would be uh, help her out because she kept getting fielded all these questions about medication interactions and potential safety concerns. And she was like, this is over my head. I, I don't know these types of things. And when she was uh, talking with uh, Daniel Schneekin at uh, Mount Tam Integration, he had said, you know, I've worked with CJ. He'd, uh, you know, he's in the field. Maybe you can reach out to him. So I told her, you know, I'd be interested. I, I, I don't know. I'm a skeptical, as I said. And I, but I started to do a little bit of the research and reading about it. And I was like, oh, my God, there's so much more here to really go into. Because my, my concern at the time was, you know, 
there's, and I don't, I don't want to put down microdosing coaches and people that are out there doing it by any means, but you know, she admitted, you know, I'm over my head. I don't know the medication, potential interactions and all that. And I don't even want to, you know, just, you know, put out that I do. I, I, I would you be willing to kind of jump into this? So I uh, told her I would, and we started working on it and I started putting together a handbook for it. I started looking at like the drug on drug interactions, um, putting in there, doing a uh, six week protocol and doing a little bit of the um, cognitive behavioral piece to kind of go with it, to kind of break our, our thought process and, and really look at it. And I really started digging into Dr. Fadiman's work and Dr. Fadiman's research and everything. And I realized, you know, when everyone talks about microdosing, they refer to Fadiman's work in the microdosing or in the uh-huh. psychedelic explorers guide. But if you go into that research itself, it's only a couple of pages where he talks about it, but everything is out there, you know, in conferences, podcasts that he's done, um, his literature that he is, he is uh, published out there, but there's no handy uh, book or handy all encompassing reference book. So I started pulling all that information together into this handy book. And it, I got to uh, the point where I started working with the group on it and I you know, one of the things I said is that, you know, I don't want to be giving medical advice. I'm not working with you. You are not my patient. But if you're, you know, what I'm encouraging you to do is kind of talk to your medical providers about your mm-hmm. safety concerns. What can you do and, and have those blunt conversations. And so what I, I, and what really got me was there was this one line I put in the book in the initial draft was, if you have questions about this, you know, talk to your medical provider. And you can even bring this book with you to show them because I'm going to give you the information of what I've found out there and, and citing the ref, you know, what I'm, where I'm coming from. I'm not just making mm-hmm. this up. And I realized at that point, I'm like, this is so much bigger than just a quick little handbook in a, in a microdosing um, group project uh, talking with people. Like there's going to be providers out there like myself that would love to have something to, to, to look at and read myself to make reference to, to, to learn from. And that's when I kind of was like, ah, let's expand this. So I started reaching out to some publishers. I'd reached out to uh, Michelle Janikian, who had wrote the, um, the, uh, the psilocybin uh, guide. My, and she mm-hmm. was going through Ulysses Press. So I reached out to them and they were gracious enough to jump on board and said, we would love to go with this. Let's come up with a deal. Let's come up with a plan. And about a year later, I had uh, the rough draft put together. I had the um, working with them to kind of edit it. And all said and done, it was about a year project. And now I'm holding the book in my hand. It's just amazing. To me. Awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. So who who's this book for then? I mean, it sounds like it started off as kind of a, a guide for groups of people going through a, a microdosing regimen, but you, you saw to expand it. So who who out there should be buying or reading this book? Who's it for? Well, other than everyone, I encourage everyone to buy my book. It's kind of, I, yeah. I wanted to make it presentable. I wanted to make it approachable. I wanted to make it easy to read, easy to flip through. So when I initially wrote the book, you know, I, I here I, I'm coming from my academic background. I cited everything, every sentence I'd, I'd written, you know, I want, I went back and in working with the publisher, they said, you know, you are the professional, you are the one that is, is saying this, you don't need to reference your work. You don't need to kind of put it out there, it's coming from you. 
So it was kind of like, okay, I agree with that to an extent, but I want to also make sure that this is where if someone has questions, they can know where I'm coming from, other than just taking my words as gospel or just going, okay, this is where you're coming from. I wanted to have it so like, you know, people know where it is. And also, especially healthcare providers, like I, I thought it would be important. I could envision someone going in and talking to their PCP or their psychiatric provider and saying, say, I'm thinking about doing microdosing. I'm on these medications. Here's what I'm thinking. And here's the ref- here's the, here's where I'm coming from. So yeah. I, the book was put together in three sections. You know, there's the first part of the book, which is for the average person who knows, you know, enough to say, I know what microdosing is. I want to come up with an idea. I want to look at protocols. What is a protocol and what might it improve for me? So I put that together, which is the meat of the book. You know, that's probably 85% of the book. And then there's a Mm -hmm. a little 5% of the book maybe that is um, for the providers. And I wrote in, you know, directly talking to providers. And I, you know, I preference it with, this is a little bit deeper than the, like for, the average person who is not in the medical field. It is, I want to make this, uh, you know, approachable for anyone to read, but I'm going to be talking in, you know, medical jargon. I'm going to be talking in, you know, as I, as I was talking to my peers of having, you know, a conversation about medications. So, you know, bringing this to your book. And I even said to the, to the um, people, the providers in here was, you know, I think it's important to have these conversations you know, the risk reduction, harm reduction model, you know, we're, we're talking about medications, you know, but how many times are we having conversations with our patients as providers of, you know, you shouldn't use this drug, um, you know, minimize your alcohol use, your tobacco use, um, marijuana use. We talk about the use of heroin, you know, fentanyl crisis that's out there and kind of have this, if you're going, I don't condone what you're doing, but if you're going to do it, do it safely. And I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, in some of the research out there, people, um, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it's, I know it's like less than 20% of people that are microdosing have ever talked to, with a medical professional about their plan and what they're going about that. And I'm hoping that, that that's going to change as people will go to their provider. And I said to providers in that section also, if someone's coming to you, I think that we have a, we have a um, obligation even if we don't feel comfortable, you know, just saying to the patient, I don't feel comfortable with this conversation. Here's some other resources out there for someone that might have, the, you know, where it's out there. So I reference, you know, going outside because what's the harm that we're doing if we're not having these important conversations? Because people are going to use substances either way. Right. Yeah, good point. Good and point. Then the other, so, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, and then the other part of that in that reference section, you know, for the providers, I explained to them about, you know, drug and drug interactions, but I also go into a bunch of other resources out there, um, such as the Psychedelic Medicine Association, Open Nurses, which is a uh, psychedelic driven um, group for nurses, the International Association for Psychedelic Nurses, Um, I also Mm -hmm. reference CIIS, Psychedelics Today, Psychedelic.Support, all all, and all of the references I put out there, either I've worked with in, in the past or I've had a vested interest with because I know what they're doing um, it is for uh, improving safety, improve, improving access and improving um, 
having conversations and normalizing the conversations about psychedelics. So I really pulled it all together to kind of go, here's more information out there. We're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good too, because like you said, it's, it's for everybody, you know, in the space. And I, what I notice about a lot of people in the psychedelic space is they want to know a lot of them want to know the, the science and the medicine and the details. Mm-hmm. And so to have a book that's, that gives you the, the protocols and, and is a real guide to also have that, that background data and information, I think is, is, you know, everybody's going to, most of the people in this space are going to really, you know, devour that. That's how I feel. You know, I, I you know, I, I always say to people, you know, I, I, I really feel, you know, you want to know where you're coming from and where is that based in? But who are you? Where are you basing that information? Where is that? Where is this? You know, where's the science behind it? So I really wanted to make sure. And that was kind of part of the um, feeling I, I said with the publishers. They said, you know, this is getting really academic. I was like, I really don't. I, I, I don't want to cut this out because I think if we don't put it in there, we're going to be doing a disservice because I, I want to make sure that we're having these normalized conversations. And I think in a couple of years, as we start moving forward, more openly accepting psychedelic medicines, um, accepting you know what the, what they can bring for us, and we start normalizing, it won't be so taboo. It won't be in the psychedelic closet as much, and people are going to you know really. I want to make that change. I want to make that uh, be a part of improving access for that. Yeah, and I know in the book you you uh, you, you know you share your own journey and your own story. Mm-hmm. Um, what about with, with microdosing? What do you want to share anything about your own personal experiences with that? Well, um, first I'd like to say, you know, really, that was something I, I'd really, I want to thank you for Stuart. Like that was kind of when, when I met, you know, the first time I really came out of, instead of talking third person, like hypothetical was on your podcast where I'd said, you know, mm. I, here's the change and, and really took into heart, like. I think it's important to have those conversations and saying, you know, I've, I've, I've been here, I've done this. Um, Because I think that's where we can start really seeing the improvement because if you don't have, if you're not having those conversations, I think there's, that's the catch 22 of it. You know, if we're, if people Uh aren't talking about it, you know, then what do they have to know? Where's their, where are they basing on? But the other side is, is, it automatically changes a bias by, by disclosing because there's a vested interest that we have by being a part of having um, used the substances as well. So it's really, uh, I think it's delicate information, a delicate uh, razor to, to walk because even in like um, Janice Phelps' uh, competencies for psychedelic therapists, it was talking about how it's important to have a psychedelic experience. That being said, yeah people have a, you know, preconceived notion and I'm hoping that that's going to change in time. So, yeah. Break that, break that stigma. Yeah. And coming out of that closet. And that was, you know, the first time I publicly talked about was on your podcast the first time. And with the first time I I'd really seen firsthand when I went to that conference, I, I uh, said, you know, people were coming yeah. up to me and saying, Oh my God, I have this experience. Some of the people I, I talked to were in some of the trials or were working with um, psilocybin in the in the studies I had referenced from the 60s and 70s at Hopkins. So it was fascinating mm-hmm. to see. Here's people going, oh, I remember I did this, and here I'm okay. I turned out okay. Let's get rid of yeah. that demonization that you know we've uh, 
this is your brain on drugs with the the frying pan yeah. hitting the egg that we remember from years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, every time I do my live show, which I just did one last Thursday, people come up to me and like, yeah, I, I tried this or I did that, and it's. I agree with you. The more we talk, so I'm glad. I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you included it in the book, and I'm glad you're talking about it. So that that's awesome. Um, so let's go into some of these details. So what does it mean? What does microdosing even mean? What is what is that? Microdosing. Um, well, part of the challenge, I guess, is we don't have a great clear definition by standards, and we've slowly started honing it back and kind of really go, explaining what it is over uh, over time but there is nothing that's really out there saying, this is exactly what it is. Um, the standard when it comes to psychedelics um, microdosing is uh, based in the idea uh, between 1 20th and 1 10th of a normal uh, psychedelic experience dose. So when, mm -hmm. you start, when, you, when you think of that, you know, it's, we're talking like, if we're talking LSD acid, you know, we're talking a uh, tiny, tiny dose and that was uh, what I had originally put in my book. I said, you know, at 10%, uh, you know, at uh, one tenth to one twentieth in that range is, you know, around 10 micrograms, no more than 20. And I uh, emailed in one of my early revisions, I'd sent a copy to Dr. Fadiman, who was graciously um, responded and read through my book and gave me some amazing feedback. And I'm very gracious that he nice. was able to do that. It was always oh, fantastic. And he said, you know, part of my, where I've seen over my time and with the thousands and thousands of accounts I've gotten, I really feel when it comes to LSD, it's between seven and 13 micrograms. But interesting. Which is, yeah. I thought, I thought it was very interesting because there is no sex amount, but microdosing is also a term that we also in um, other medications because you're looking at where's the smallest amount of having an effect. So there's, um, in my Google Scholar, I have stuff pop up all the time for, you know, microdosing of um, arsenic that's out there naturally occurring. So it's an actual term, but that when it comes to the psychedelic methods, there is no clear definition, which is why I'm hoping that with this, we'll, you know, the academic research that keeps getting printed keeps giving about the same amount that one twentieth to one tenth, um, which is now the kind of the, um, the accepted, uh, but there is no one, there's nothing that's really said. Um, this is verbatim what it is. So what I, yeah, so that's, that's a, so, so that's a micro dose, but this, we're talking about a regimen, right? So it's not just a, you don't just, just like one time thing. It's a, an ongoing thing for, 10 to 20, 30 days, whatever it is. So how, yeah. how long does that regimen go? And, and how, what does that regimen look like? Well, uh, you know, there's a couple of different um, worlds out there. I know um, Paul Stamets has his own where he does this um, five days on, two days off, you know, kind of micro, um, microdosing during the week and then take your weekends off um, idea. But I really, what I wanted to do in my book is I follow what's the Fadiman protocol, which in the mm -hmm. Fadiman protocol, there's a, um, dosing day that you, you, you take the microdose. Um, then you have the next day off where you start to kind of have like this um, come down experience um, with large dose psychedelics. Sometimes we see that little moonlight phase the next day where things might be a little bit brighter, a little bit better. And then the third day off, the third day, which is another day off, is kind of the zero day. You're not taking anything, but you kind of feel where you're at. Um, 
not taking anything. It's not as good as it was um, on the day that you dosed. It's not as good as your, your next day, but you're kind of giving your body a time to, to reacclimate and kind of know where you're at. And then you go into the fourth day, in the fourth day, you dose again. And the idea, um, what, I, what I kind of explain in the protocol following this statamine is, you know, you can't take back when you take a dose, you know? So I encourage people to take, you know, start low, go slow, just like we would with, you know, marijuana edibles or anything else and see where you're at. You know, you might not feel anything at the um, low dose on that day, but as you kind of do some journaling, work your way through, you know, a couple of days of doing it, you kind of learn what the medication, what the, me- I don't want to say medication, what the, um, it is medication, I guess, if we handle it that way, what, what the medicine's doing for you, you're noticing if it's making any improvements, you, you know, and as we slowly increase, you know, you, we might see side effects, we, like nausea, you might see some side effects such as overstimulation, because there is some stimulating effect from uh, hitting those serotonin receptors. And, but as we do this over time, over a couple of weeks of dosing on, dosing off, we kind of see what the, med- what the medicine does for us, see if there's any improvement. And ideally the goal is, is, you know, six to eight weeks, we might not need to even do it dosing at all. I know some people who have gotten a relationship with the medicine as they've dosed it and kind of might dose once every month or once every couple of months when they feel they need it, they know when they need it, they feel that improvement, but it's not like the traditional um, pharmacological medication uh, regimen of dosing every day and seeing where we're at. It's really, it's, uh, I feel having this protocol is getting a relationship of knowing what the medicine's doing for you and what you're, do- what you're getting from it. And so a microdose, how do you know when you have the right dose? How, how, do you, how, would, how does one feel like, so I take, I take a microdose, I feel nothing. I, I increase, I ramp it up a little bit. Suddenly I, I feel a little sparkly. So I'm like, maybe that's too much. What is the right feeling once one has taken a microdose? What, what should they be feeling physically, emotionally, uh, in their mind, you know, whatever? Uh, ideally, the idea is, you know, things might feel a little lighter. The sun might seem a little bit brighter. You might feel a little bit uh, more connected with people around you and places around you. And just kind of changing our attitude and our mindset of, of what's going on. You know, if we have a dose that goes too high, we might be overstimulated. We might have, uh, or we just don't feel good. It might be um, our mindset is not in the right place. We might just feel hmm. not not well overall. So it's really finding that little spot where, like, when you feel it, you feel it is kind of how, is kind of the idea. And slowly going up and, and until you find where you might have benefits where you might feel this is a good amount, this is a good place. And as with any, any even medicine, you know, there's a side of, there's always a re- reason why we're taking it, but there's also a side effect that we can experience with them. Same thing with other antidepressant medications. So I kind of explain in, in the book how to kind of manage some of the kind, uh, common side effects such as nausea, sleep disturbances, things like that. And kind of, you know, maybe dosing earlier in the day if you're overstimulated or being mindful of not adding caffeine with it. Or if you have a little bit of nausea, um, taking it with like making it into a tincture or a tea or take some lemon or ginger with it just to kind of help settle your stomach with it. 
And how the, the typical psychedelic journey concepts of setting intentions, um, mindset, setting, do, you know, diet, do, do those things also play into a uh, microdosing regimen? I think it does. And I think that's kind of where uh, it got really interesting. And I kind of went down the rabbit hole, um, especially when it, you look at, uh, you know, the common argument is the research out there shows that it's the placebo effect. Like we're having all these, you know, the improvements that we're seeing is due to, you know, it's in our mindset. But I think it's important to kind of look at um, the deeper, bigger picture of what is the like extra or non-biological, non-pharmacological factors that are going into place um, with, with doing this um, microdosing journey. I think it's, you know, if you have a mindset that something's not going to work, it's not going to work. There's that nocebo effect that, that, that's out there. Mm. But I think mm-hmm. it's also important to kind of look at, you know, um, the making sure you're in a good spot when you're doing it in a good mindset, you know, you're trying to make some improvements. And that's where in my um, six week journey piece of the, um, in the protocol is I go into having time to kind of look at what's important for us what are our, um, cause I, you know, the other part I didn't mention is my, my holistic nursing background where I'm looking at the whole person. Um, mm. I, we discussed that a little bit in the first, uh, episode I did with you. Um, you know, there's this, um, the, the whole idea is the biopsychosocial spiritual model that is important, you know, cause we're, you know, beings that are interacting in the world around us. So there's these other factors I think that are important to kind of really, help make improvement. Like, you know, if you're living in a, in a spot where, you know, th- you know, the conversation I have with patients all the time are, you know, you have, you know, depression and anxiety, but you're eating like crap. You're living in a stressful area where, you know, poverty stricken, you're worried about, you know, I've had a patient who, you know, their big concern was they kept running out of heating oil or heating or wood pellets or electricity. I can't, I can't, fix your depression and anxiety when you're worried about the, the power going out in the middle of the night and the potential of freezing to death in the cold main winter. But if you can kind of address some of these things with this um, improving our setting of where we're at, our physical setting, you know, we might have uh, more apt to have better improvements moving forward. So I really, that's where I kind of broke down um, part of these other things to kind of think about, like, where do you want to move yourself physically? Where are you looking at mentally wanting to move forward? Where are your um, intentions? How are you interacting with the people around you? How are you interacting with work and your other stresses involved to kind of like, as we're making these connections, as we're making the uh, physical changes in our brain from the, um, microdosing we're also making these other connections these pathways in our mind of how are we thinking outside the box how are we changing our our groove because i think so much of depression anxiety um a lot of mental health conditions are our mindset of where we're stuck and not changing how we're how we're um interacting with the world around us if that makes sense yeah yeah, that makes great sense. Because I have seen stuff about the placebo effect and, you know, with microdosing, but it's interesting, you know, if it's working, it's working. And if you're, if one's preparation is to control 
caffeine consumption, alcohol consumption, eat better, meditate and prepare, you know what I mean? Then that's an outcome that's, that's hard to, hard to argue with, even no, you know, no matter what it is that is causing it, you're, it's the opposite of what you're saying there. You know, you can have all these bad things going on in your life, but there's also some, some powerful things one can do leading up to a, a microdosing regimen that are likely to have a great effect even just on their own. Yeah, and I, that was part of the rabbit hole that I went down um, in my researching and where I really changed my mindset of where uh, microdosing can be absolutely different. Is I got into doing the research on what the placebo effect is, these non-pharmacological mm. factors that are there. Um, Dr. Uh, Ito Hart, I'm going to butcher his name, Hartogasen, um, he has some great research out there about the placebo effect. Um, in medicine in general, and not necessarily that it's a placebo effect, but these other factors that you take into consideration, such as like when you go in to see your medical provider, if you're walking into an office that is dimly lit, um, nothing on the walls and kind of cold, you know, a cold environment, you might not have the best improvements, but if you have someone, you know, your provider is smiling, they might be wearing a tie, they're, um, diplomas hanging out in the wall and they've got some big bright books that look really smart around it. You might have more confidence in them by having more confidence in them. You might have more improvements in the medicine, whatever they're prescribing because of these other factors, you have confidence that they're going to be able to help you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So you've talked about LSD and I think uh, an easy assumption out there is we're also talking about the potential to microdose um, psilocybin mushrooms. What are there other psychedelics that people successfully microdose, or that, that I, you know one might even recommend microdosing, or is it really sticking to those two? My book, I really, I really stuck to the two classic psychedelics out there. I really stuck to um, the psilocybin LSD. They're very chemically similar. One, um, without getting into the nuanced, you know, lost in the weeds of it, they're very chemically similar. Um, psilocybin ends up having uh, at high doses a shorter duration because it doesn't quite stick as well um, to the serotonin 2A receptors like LSD does. But t um, when it comes to, you know, the, the microdosing, I really stuck to those two without going into the deeper. Um, there are some people out there that I've seen that talk about uh, Amanita muscaria doing it. Mm. People talk about DMT microdosing. I really, I really stuck to um, the psilocybin and LSD because just because part of which is there's not a lot of great research out there with um, psychedelics and microdosing yeah. in general, but this is like the, the two substances that are the most out there. And I think it's really easy to kind of, um, if you're going to make an, like for me, if I'm going to make an assumption and say, you know, it seems like, if this is the case, then this. The two, you can kind of make some of those assumptions um, uh, scientifically with those two because they're so chemically similar and their, their reactions might just, uh, the half-life just happens to be longer. But there are a lot of, the way that they work, the mechanism, mechanism, mechanism of action and how they work are very similar and they're the most researched out there. I'd love to see thing, other things out there in the future um, I don't know where we're going to do that at this time. But the other part is I think it's also important um, to look at 
Like when it comes to LSD, you know, you have to know where you're getting it and trust in where it's at. You know, we've seen the and heard the yeah. horror stories of blotter acid being out there that's, you know, fentanyl with the fentanyl crisis and we don't know. And I really go into, you know, knowing in my book, I went into talking about, you know, knowing what you're at, kind of getting an idea of what your dosing is. And what, even if you get a dosing protocol with the substances, if you change your substances, either being LSD or psilocybin, if you change your access of where it is, you might need to go back through and redose and figure out where you're at because, it, you know, dose to dose, strain to strain, it does um, uh, alter slightly. But I think the other part that was really important, I think, with, when it comes to psilocybin is it's the easy access out there. I don't yeah. want to, you know, condone any illegal activities. That was never my point in the book. I don't go into the, um, the weeds of how to grow psilocybin because that's illegal. But... When it comes to accessing psilocybin, um, I think it's 47 or 48 states, you can um, purchase uh, the spores for mycology use only, I want to add. But if you, if you theoretically were to put it in a boomer bag, you know, jars, whatever, and hypothetically had access to these mushrooms that somehow grew to then you would be able to do these types of things. And there is places out there also that are legally open and the decriminalization, which I think is really going to be exciting to see as we're having these improvements. You know, people might be growing them in uh, different places that are legal, uh, decriminalized. It's not full legal, but you can not have, have a little less stress. I think one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest, risk out there when it comes to microdosing is being caught with having mushrooms. There's that actual case of, you know, if you were caught with it, one of the harms that you could end up having is life-changing prosecution, um, criminal time, right. et cetera. That, I think that's one of the big risks that are out there. But if you're willing to kind of forego that and um, do it, and hypothetically you were to do it, I want, to be able, I want you to be able to do it safely. So, it's, you know, yeah. it's important to have that access. I think it's important to, you know, if someone's going to do it, we can get it. And that's where I think it's going to be, it's exciting when it comes to psilocybin in general is it can grow naturally. People can access it and you can get it and kind of know what you're getting out there. So it improves the access than even normal pharmaceutical medications because people don't have access to expensive medications, even with insurance. And I see that every day in my, in my practice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mentioned this in the intro, but also just say it again now is just everybody make sure you understand the laws, you know, in your area and do this in a legal way and also in a, in a safe way. So you, you mentioned harm reduction. It, and I know because I actually secondhand one of my good friends, neighbor's kid has died from LSD. Mm -hmm. And I always I always ask people, did he really die from LSD? And I was like, no. You know, it was laced with something, you know, because he didn't test it. So with a with a micro, so we know about testing, uh, dancesafe.org. We got to do all these things. But is there anything when it comes to a micro dosing regimen per se that people should like, like if you do a macro dose, right? If, you're, if somebody's going to do three and a half grams or, or do a large dose at, at four to six grams, they know that, you know, they're taught by our community to have a trip sitter, somebody with yeah. them or nearby that knows what's going on that can keep them safe. What are there harm reduction recommendations for uh, a microdosing regimen? 
Well, I, I, one of the things I put in the book was I mentioned, you know, the fireside project, because if you accidentally take a macrodose when you intend on taking a microdose, those things could theoretically happen. Um, mm-hmm. even, you know, especially if you get into a, uh, you know, into a heavier strain that might be more, or if you end up, you know, you, you have access to, you know, when we're talking micrograms and you have, you know, if you had uh, LSD that was on, you know, a sheet and it, you cut it even into the tenths and it was stronger than you, you might end up inadvertently, you know, you're now all of a sudden fighting dragons and tasting sound is how I said it. You might have that, yeah. you know. So I think it's important to have like the um, dance safe um, fireside project out there to kind of go about it. But if you know what you're doing and, you, and theoretically if you're starting at these micro slow doses and slowly building up, you know, the risk is low. I don't want to say it's zero, especially when it comes to, you know, you don't, if you don't know what you have, but if you have mushrooms and, and, you know, I, I put in there how to grind them up and put them into capsules once you kind of know what your dosing is and kind of go into that. Yeah. But if you know that you're taking these small doses, you know, I kind of encourage on your first dose, stay maybe doing it on the weekend or a day that you don't have anything going on that's too important, just in case yeah. you, uh, you have, you know, rebound anxiety. And I think that's also the other thing when it comes to other, you know, medications, you know, pharmaceutical medications out there, you know, you start a medication for anxiety or, you know, you can have, you can be too tired from it. You can have these other effects from it and you're not going to have a very productive day. So until you really know what you're doing and how you're going about it and build that relationship, these things can happen. Yeah. Smart. I like that. So yeah. another, another comparison between macrodose and microdose, you know, with the macrodose, we're taught to integrate our experiences, you know, maybe journal, have discussions mm-hmm. with an integration coach. How does that compare with a, a microdosing regimen? Do you, do you integrate? Do you have lessons? Do you journal? What do you recommend? Oh, I, so I ended up putting together in the book, you know, that last third of the book is really the integration. I, I put in there kind of a mood chart to kind of come up with, you know, tracking your mood day to day. Um, lots of pieces in this workbook. I put in like what I use is the um, PHQ-8 to kind of screen for depression to see where you're at, to see these improvements. But I put room in there for a couple pages to do notes. I explain kind of setting goals, setting your intention, moving forward, um, and kind of come up with these ideas as you're working and working on some ideas. Because really, when it comes to um, microdosing, and I was, and I didn't even mention this in the beginning, I and mean, I probably should have. You know, there's really when you, if you think about it, there's three motivations of why people want to microdose. You know, those are to improve performance, whatever that performance is, relieve a pathological condition such as pain, depression, anxiety, or to assist in stopping pharmaceuticals such as other med- anti you know depressive medications, anti-anxiety medications. Um, pain medications, whatever it is. And that's where I think it's important to be working with your medical provider with these ideas of here's what I'm going to do. And here's where, is this a foresee, you know, is this achievable? Am I setting this? Am I on the right path? So then the other part of what I go into in the book is I explain what is an intention, how to kind of go about it, celebrating your wins, kind of moving forward with a note. I talk about what self-care is and why it's important and how it's not um selfish to do um part of what mm-hmm. i also have in here was this you know how to kind of come up with some ideas for your own self-care and um 
uh, week to week, I have other uh, different ideas that are in here of how to kind of look at our world around us and to kind of really get us thinking outside of the box of integrating the processes we're doing it and making these changes. And one of my favorite things in here that uh, Tara Lee had done, um, and I you know, shout out to Tara Lee Weathers over at rockinglife.com, who is my partner on this. Uh, she had, you know, we came up with this micro, micro mixtapes, kind of go on, you know, this journey <laughs> of music and working on where are we going and make these improvements and kind of, so it was really a fun thing of like, you know, happy songs, nostalgic songs, and kind of really getting us thinking outside the box of just like, I'm doing this microdose and I'm going to get this improvement. But I yeah. really, it's fun. It was like the six week journey that we came up with. And, and really it, it was fun. Like there's the, in the six weeks, what I talk about is like week one is setting your intention. Week two is um, getting to know your fun guys or gals or not uh, gendered non-conforming. The, 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 the uh, fun guys hmm. to play on words, uh, being a little uh, dad joke punny there. Um, week three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, week three is spreading your mycelium network of self, growing yourself outside of yourself and thinking outside the box. Week four is nice. how much how much room do you have to grow kind of <laughs> as we're growing and, and dosing as we're moving. Uh, week five is not tripping, straight up living, kind of in, you know pulling it all together. And then week six was the integration. What's next? And where are we at? Where are we going to kind of come up with what's working with the medications, what's not? So really, that was the fun part of the book is it's not just doing the dosing, but really getting the ball rolling, setting your intention, moving forward, reassessing your world around you. And what are you getting from doing the microdosing? How is it affecting you mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally? And how are you, you know, our place in the world around us? Yeah, nice. So there is, there, there is a lot to, it's not just a matter of, of taking the medicines or the drugs there's work to be done on one's own just like you would do with any other kind of a, a psychological or spiritual journey absolutely and that was kind of the, the part i thought was really fun with it because you know i in my daily practice of prescribing medications one of the things i explain to patients daily is you know i can prescribe medications but it's not going to change where you are in the world it's not going to change necessarily how we're interacting with it because it's not going to, you know, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to help you cope with the world around you. And that's where it's, you yeah. know, having therapy and do, working with a therapist, working with someone else to kind of really change our views and doing the behavioral piece to it. But, you know, when it comes to microdosing, we're not doing that necessarily. We might not have the luxury of having a therapist, having someone to, who's really open to knowing what we're doing. And I wanted to kind of really give that to, to the reader to kind of go, Let's think outside of ourselves and where, how are yeah. we doing? What is making us think differently? What's doing it? Which then kind of goes back to the question of, is it the medicine that's working? Is it the, you know, doing the microdosing? Is it the way that we're seeing things interacting around us? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but all of this together is going to give us better improvements. Research out there shows that medication you know, the, the medication is only one piece of the puzzle. And the people that do psychotherapy with antidepressant medications have a like 60% improvement over medications alone. So it's really wow. important to do both. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating yeah. stuff. So speaking of research, 
does there is there anything out there going on right now that you're aware of that you kind of have your eye on in terms of research around microdosing? Uh, I'm I'm hopeful we're going to start seeing more. I think it's going to be interesting to see one of the in in at one point in writing the book uh, and when I went down that rabbit hole, I you know started seeing there was two studies that came out. Um, what, uh, both of them out of uh, England. And what they looked at was they found that people who microdosed that had the intention, um, people that had a outlook that they're going to have improvements had better outcomes, which I think hmm. is obvious when it comes to anything. You know, you have your heart set on something being good. It, it likely might be better than, than not. Um, about four weeks, three weeks after that came out, was the biggest study of uh, that came out was uh, looking at you know, microdosing um, and the improvements that come with it. Are there some improvements? Is it just is it just a um, placebo effect or not? And that was kind of where I wanted to really look at um, yeah. the research. So, and you know, my feeling was like like you had said, you know, does it really matter if there's improvement or not? where it's coming from as long as there's improvement. I and I and I have that I have that uh, Machiavellian uh, feel to it too. Like who necessarily cares why as long as we're seeing some research or seeing some improvement. So I went and I looked at, you know, my feeling was if we're going to be looking at microdosing, I want to have it let's hold to the same standard out there as antidepressant medications. Let's hold it to the same standard that we have of what you know what's out there. Because that's kind of the big common, you know, common improvement. And that was one part I really worked on in the book was looking at, uh, there was uh, some research by uh, Irving Kirsch, um, Boston area, who looked at, you know, the improvements and looking at this trial, which is the largest um, trial when it comes to antidepressant medications and their improvement. And, you know, he really, when he ended up first publishing his stuff, um, back around 2008 it it shook the world really because hmm. the research that was out there when it's coming out with what's the improvement was saying you know here we're having these high numbers in these trials but what cursed it is him and his uh students went in and got like freedom of information acted um hmm. the rest of the trial information for the medication trials and pulled those numbers and reran all of the research that's out there and what he found was absolutely fascinating because what he found was like around 30% of people that had a uh, improvement with antidepressants that you could say it's absolutely from the medication. You had 25% or, or so that said uh, the improvements are because of these other factors we don't really know. And then there's the other factors that could be in the passage of time, like, you know, as we have something that's depressing happening in our life, as time goes on, time heals a little bit, we pull our social supports, we naturally start to make some improvements. And we have, yeah. you know, he looked at all of that and really put it out there. And when he published this, it, there was a huge backlash. He ended up publishing mm. a book with it, um, you know, looking at it. And really, it changed. And, really, and I explained that is one of the things that when that changed, after that, you didn't see as large clinical studies being done um, by like the study where the federal government's putting money. It's all now private industry done research. Yeah. And what he had also said was, you know, if you look at, you know, you can do a clinical trial, they cost a lot of money, but if they fail, 
you can just put the money into doing another clinical trial. And as you keep doing it, all you need to do is have two clinical trials where you're having these stark improvements. And now you can say, okay, let's go for FDA approval because it's improved. And I don't want to say all medications are bad. That's not my point. But I think yeah. it's important to kind of really look at, you know, there's a time and place and everything that's out there for medications are very similar in how they work. What is treating mm-hmm. resistant depression when you're, you know, if we're doing everything, all of our medications are either SSRI or SNRI medications, they're all working in the same way. Where's the improvement there compared to these other things? So yeah. in the trials, you know, in the trials that are done on the um, um, placebo type effects, I think, you know, I explained it here, you got to think of, let's hold it the same standard. Kirsch's work, like I said, for the SSRIs, he proved in 2008 that antidepressants do work to decrease the depressive symptoms in many. He also mm-hmm. proved that placebos are effective in decreasing the depressive symptoms in many. Right. Holding it to the research that's out there, participants who microdose psychedelics and are receiving a placebo have improvements in mood, energy, uh, creativity, emotional states, and anxiety when they're taking a placebo. Place- participants who are taking a placebo um, or taking microdosing, they're having improvements as well. So the research is showing that all the people are having improvements, whether it's placebo, whether it's antidepressants, whether it's um, microdosing or not. And expectation bias does change that. So I think mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see, you know, there was the, the Dr. Um, Kizagetti, who's the one who did the uh, largest placebo study um, that came out last year. He found part of the expectation bias was people who knew or thought that they were taking a microdose had higher improvements over by um, having uh, problems with their self-blinding. They knew that they were taking something had higher improvements, which, <laughs> you know, people go, okay, there's a blinding problem here. But the same research is out there for the antidepressant medications. It's the same way. And I think that we need to kind of keep an eye on that instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. As this research comes out, do you have plans to do updated versions of the book? I would love to do that. I would love to. I reached out to Cezzetti. I've I've reached out to a couple of people um, who are doing some of the research and introduced myself and I have this book. And I, you know, and I think that that's kind of where the excitement is, is out there because they can kind of pull together some protocols that are going, here's what we've got out there. And we're going to see microdosing come out even more. So I'm hopeful that we're going to see more research. I'm hopeful we can kind of figure out how to kind of blind it and how to, because in, in that largest placebo, what they found early on was people were noticing um, they were having um, belching. They were burping um, <laughs> the, the mushrooms. So they knew that they were blinded. So they found, you know, giving uh, chaga reishi, uh, reishi uh, mushrooms right. uh, blinded a little bit better. But I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, as we start kind of really, I want to see that we're going to treat it the same way across the board as the SSRIs. And I want to see the research. And I'm hoping that as we start seeing decriminalization, legalization change um, in these cities, yeah. in these states, in these individual municipalities moving forward, and it gets opened a little bit more, we're going to start seeing this research being able to be done a little bit better. Because, you know, when you're doing this research now, you're breaking the law when you're starting to do it, which is why we're not getting the research being done, because you can't get the major foundations, major um, universities to even allow it, because you, by, by definition, have to be breaking the law to be doing this, yeah. even though these are these small, small, small microdoses that are, you know, 
relatively safe right. overall. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. Just a couple last questions. So um, what haven't I asked you about the book or about microdosing in general? Is there something else that you want to make sure to get out there to everybody? I, I think that the, the one important thing I think I really um, wanted to point out is one of the, you know, it is relatively safe. Um, and I explained the drug and drug and potential interactions and kind of really broke it down. I also mm -hmm. put in the book for the providers, kind of like if a patient comes to you on XYZ medications, here's the potential interaction, how you might be able to come up with a new plan for changing their medications to, to, to help um, work with them to be. Um, mm -hmm. But the other part that I think is when you start hearing the microdosing, there's this huge um, issue that's up in the air where people are trying to figure out is, is it safe because of the potential cardiac um, considerations because of the uh, mm. serotonin 2B receptors that are out there. Um, and uh, two of the people I'd talked to was a pharmacist who work um, with psychedelic medicines, both the spirit pharmacist, Dr. Ben Malcolm, and I'd also sp spoke with um, Dr. Uh, Kellen Thompson, who uh, does a lot of research. He's talked about the um, these potential cardiac risks because of the binding that happens at the 2D receptor. And it's kind of like um, the idea is it's kind of polarizing because people are going, this is a huge concern. But then there's people in the psychedelic space that are also going, well, if we were seeing it because people were doing these high doses of many psychedelics, you know, in the in the fifties and sixties, some people were doing them daily. Are there, you know, they weren't having any of these effects either. So I think that's going to be the important thing to kind of look at as we're moving forward is, you know, what's going on cardiac wise, are we going to be seeing some of these risks? And if we do, where do we fix that? How do we talk with our, ca our cardiologists? We need to, but it's still all hypothetical at this time. And that's where yeah. I really want to make sure that we're, we're, you know, I don't want to say it's completely safe. And then, you know, five years down the road go, we have cardiac issues that are happening with it. But a lot of the basis of the research that's coming out are based on um, one of the medications, like fen, uh, one of the two that was in the medication, FenFen, that had cardiac. But those were high dose, and those were medications that people were taking daily. And then there's some of the uh, medications out there, such as um, there's a couple of these um, anti-migraine medications that have been discontinued by the FDA because of the cardiac risk. Um, oh, yeah. Right. But those were highly binding and those were taking uh, more often than, you know, every fourth day of dosing for six to eight weeks and then stopping and coming back. So I think it's going to be, I, want, I don't want to say it's safe, like I said, completely, but I think it's going to be important to kind of really look at this. I think as we start getting more people who have been microdosing and can kind of explore these cardiac risks uh, potentially to kind of go, okay, here's where we're at. Here's what's going on. Mm. Where it's kind of important for us to, you know, talk with our healthcare providers about what we're doing so we can learn from this breadth of knowledge across the board. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Okay. Well, so how do people get this book? Where, where can they find it? I hear that Barnes and Noble might have it on their shelves. Barnes and Noble, my local Barnes and Noble had it before I even had a copy of it because it was pushed off nice. in March, which was fascinating because I was there with my daughter and I'm like, Oh my God, here's my book on the shelf. It was that, <laughs> Oh my God moment. It was so cool. Yeah, I, that's cool. I bought the only copy there and I was like, I don't even they have will, They yet. will refinish. Yeah. They'll, they'll get it back in inventory. They, they have, I've been back in and, and signed a couple copies and left it on the shelf. Um, nice. It's available everywhere because it's, it's published by Ulysses Press. 
but it was graciously picked up by uh, Simon and Schuster for distribution. So literally, you can get it at uh, any bookstore can get it in. So if you want to, you know, if you're going to big box chain, Barnes Noble, Indigo in Canada has it, Books a Million, independent bookstores, if they don't have it in the shelf, you can order it from them. They can get it in, distributed through Simon Schuster. It is available on Amazon to purchase. So it is available anywhere that you get books, literally, which is where I'm really happy with having and, and, yeah. and having that distribution, which was when I found that out, I was just like, oh my God. When I saw it on uh, being sold on, on walmart.com and you could pre-order it, I was like, oh my God, this is weird. Yeah, that is weird. Never thought you'd see that, huh? Never in a million years would I see that. That's awesome. Awesome. Good to see your name. Well, CJ, thank you so much for obviously for doing the podcast again, but really for all the work and the expertise that you put into this book, I think it's an important book that the community needs and I will do what I can to make sure people know about this. So thank you for the hard work and for coming back and, uh, and sharing all your wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. As I said, Stuart, thank you for the support, you know, been here with you, you know, since the beginning. And I think it's important to have, you know, that grassroots, that, you know, word of mouth that people are having and talking about this and kind of just like having these conversations in general is where it's going to change the stigma and people are going to really feel more open about it. I found that myself when I was writing and working, you know, psychedelic work to begin with, you know, I I didn't know how to go about it, but I, I had a few people just having Michael Poland's book with me on my desk. People came up to me and go, Oh, what is that? Just because of his name. And they'd read his other work on, nutrition right. and health and stuff and it was just like people who i had no idea or, or would have ever thought had any interest were like oh i'm gonna read this now which is where the it's exciting with the poll the pollinization of of uh the psychedelic industry is just having mm-hmm. that so i think it's you know as we have these conversations you're going to be surprised i've been very surprised with people who are like oh i've tried this in the past i would never do it again but i've talked to I talked to one <laughs> gentleman at a bookstore here who was getting it in, who told me that uh, they had the conversation, not even knowing that the book came out, that she was getting um, her grandfather, her father, who was in his 80s, was looking at microdosing for cognitive benefit. And this is before he even wow. knew anything about my book. And she's like, he's already started trying it because he used psychedelics in the, in the 60s and was like, well, I've got nothing else to lose. I've tried everything else. Let's go about it. And he was starting yeah. to see improvement. So it was just fascinating. You know, yeah. there's an 80 year old guy who's going at trying it because I've tried everything. It's holistic, it's different, it's natural when it comes to the mushroom. So it's just, I think it's going to be fun to see people doing it and, and really having these conversations and just spreading the word in general. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So CJ Spotswood, the Entheo Nurse author the microdosing manual. Thank you so much for doing this. And I look forward to connecting with you again, man. I look forward to it as well, Stuart. Thank you very much. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.